Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear and then we discuss it. This page is page 634. If she was beautiful at rest, she was doubly so awake. Asleep she was, a painting of a fire. Awake she was, the fire itself. It may seem strange to you that at this point I felt fear. It may seem strange that only an arm's length from the most attractive woman in the world, I was suddenly reminded of my own mortality. She smiled like a knife in velvet and stretched like a cat in the sun. Her body was built to stretch, the arch of her back, the smooth expanse of her belly going taut. The round fullness of her breasts was lifted by the motion of her arms, and suddenly I felt like a stag in rut. My body reacted to her, and I felt as if someone were hammering at the cool impassivity of Heart of Stone with a hot poker. My control slipped for a moment, and a less disciplined piece of my mind started composing a song to her. I couldn't spare the attention to rein that piece of myself back in. So I focused on staying safe in the heart of stone, ignoring both her body and the nattering part of my mind forming rhyming couplets somewhere in the back of my head. It wasn't the easiest thing to do. As a matter of fact, it made the ordinary rigors of sympathy seem simple as skipping. If not for the training I'd received at the university, I would have been a broken, pitiful thing, only able to concentrate on my own captivation. Valerian slowly relaxed out of her stretch and looked at me with ancient eyes, eyes unlike anything I had ever seen. They were a striking color. The summer dusk was in her eyes, a sort of twilight blue. They were fascinating, in fact, with lids of winged butterflies. There wasn't any white to them at all, her lips the shade of sunset skies. I clenched my jaw, split that chattering piece of myself away, and walled it off in a distant corner of my mind, letting it sing to itself. Florian tilted her head to one side. Her eyes were as intent and expressionless as a bird's. Why are you so quiet, flame lover? Have I quenched you? Her voice was odd to my ear. It had no rough edges to it at all. It was all quiet smoothness, like a piece of perfectly polished glass. Despite its odd softness, Valerian's voice ran down my spine, making me feel like a cat that's just been stroked down to the tip of its tail. I retreated further into the heart of stone, felt it cool and reassuring around me. However, while the majority of my attention was focused on self-control, the small, mad, lyric part of my mind leapt to the fore and said, Never quenched, though I am doused in you, I burn. The motion of your... End of the page. It's a shame that we will lose the meter of this line, uh, but such is the format we've chosen. My name is Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. This chapter is full of stu- such evocative imagery about Falurian that makes her both beautiful and alien. Like, Yes, obviously she's gorgeous. She's she's so gorgeous that Quoth can't help but start composing poems about her. But she's also, uh, he describes her as ancient, unlike anything he's ever seen, kind of a twilight blue. But they're also as intent as a, and expressionless as a bird's. And if you picture like a bird, like, you know, your typical like songbird, like a sparrow, a robin, whatever, they have like kind of black glassy eyes. And they always look just kind of like vaguely curious, but kind of unsettling. Uh, and that's an interesting dichotomy. The thing that sticks out the most to me about her appearance is that her smile is like a knife in velvet. Yes. Like yes. that's like, it's, it's so, it's so doesn't make sense, but does. 
Mm-hmm. Like if I think about like literally a knife and velvet, like I I don't really know why that feels like a smile, but it does. Well, something dangerous wrapped in something beautiful and smooth to disguise it. Yeah. Well, I I imagine so so you imagine like a knife wrapped in velvet, but I think the sentence is just a knife in velvet, right? Yeah, I picture a knife like resting on a velvet pillow or something. Like, it's, so that's not it's what an I picture. Indentation. I picture a knife puncturing taut velvet like a smile. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, I like that. Um, and the the idea of her eyes as like a bird's eyes, a doll's eyes, is uh, really alien and and frightening as well. Definitely like a predator. One thing I want to. Uh, point out and i'm loath to do this because i do not subscribe to the theory that bast is uh the son of Felurian by quoth um but Felurian's eyes are blue and the sclera are blue as well and when bast drops his uh glamour uh, his eyes are the same he has blue eyes and uh they go all the way the color of the the whites turn blue as well i think it stands to reason that Felurian and bast may have similar heritage well, the thing also, the thing that connects them is that they're both from Twilight. He's the Prince of Twilight and she's called the Lady of Twilight. They're both from the same place uh, in Fae, uh, which is, of course, a time uh, Twilight. So that's the other thing that connects them. But he does, according to uh, what I'm, I haven't read The Lightning Tree in some time, but according to this wiki page I'm reading, he reacts in fear when she's brought up in The Lightning Tree. Uh, so uh, we don't, and, and you know, he doesn't seem to, say hey that's my mom when she comes up in the story in this book so um they could just be neighbors mm-hmm. or if he is in fact her mom they may have a complicated parent-child relationship yeah like it's definitely complicated if he's her mom <laughs> that's not if, what i meant <laughs> if she is if she's bast's mother and quoth is bast's father as has been occasionally put forward on this podcast maybe that union and the child that resulted were verboten and maybe, you know, like she would, you know, maybe she would have to kill him or something uh, rather than let him live. And maybe he escaped into the mortal world to avoid that happening. Maybe that's why he's afraid of her. Keeping on the theme of like evocative uh, descriptions, th- it's all to support the idea that Quoth is suddenly being reminded of his own mortality in the sense that like, he knows that this thing, this this woman in front of him is like dangerous the way that like a wild animal is dangerous. Um, but also Rothfuss does a really good job of like evoking how powerfully like sexual she is and how she kind of exudes like sexuality and eroticism without ever getting crude. In, in the paragraph where she like stretches, Quoth says, Suddenly I felt like a stag in rut. My body reacted to her, you know, and as if someone was hammering at the cool impassivity of a heart of stone with a hot poker. So it's completely clear in what way his body is reacting to her without Rothfuss ever having to say it, but he evokes it with the image of like something hammering at heart of stone with a hot poker. Well, he also uh, tells us how hard Quoth has to work to resist her wiles. Mm Mm-hmm. Coming up on this part in the story and thinking about it, I, I remember thinking like, oh, you know, uh, he does seem to like have it pretty easy with Florian. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe her powers aren't as great or maybe, you know, I, I just was I didn't remember this part. But reading it now, I'm like, oh, yeah, like he really 
this is probably the hardest uh, he's had to work vis-a-vis Heart of Stone and, and being able to, to split his mind um, and do sympathy. And like she she lets up, as I recall, um, in the coming pages, once he like agrees to stay, she she kind of lets the spell go down a bit so he doesn't have to keep on fighting. But uh, this is practically an action scene. Yeah. The the extent to which he is like working and 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 in danger and kind of aware of it. But also uh, more of the same is happening on this page as on the previous where he's sort of like being affected by Filurian and not being totally aware or like the, the boundary between the effect of the spell and like his own actual feelings are not totally clear, which is really fun to to read. And it's also really fun to read out loud. I got to say, I had a good fun reading this page. Hell yeah. I I completely agree with you. I think that I had forgotten the extent to which Quoth is in, is like an inch away from death by snoo snoo for the first chunk of this sequence, because I think we are meant to understand that at this point, Valerian still thinks of him as prey. He's interesting prey because he like survived the night with her and he's like kind of in control of himself to some degree. Although, as you say, he's working really hard to stay that way. He has to split his mind into Heart of Stone. Uh, and he says, if not for the training I'd received at the university, I would have been a broken, pitiful thing, only able to concentrate on his own captivation. So I think that is interesting to Falurian, but I think she's still planning on, like, you know, using him up and spitting him out. Uh, and the more she learns about him, the more interesting she finds him. Yes, and I actually think that we we learn right away kind of her attitude towards uh, her lover. She says right away, have I quenched you? And obviously she's referring to his hair. He's the flame lover. But also uh, what this says to me is that her attitude toward her lovers and like how they, you know, go away uh, is that they're like little flames, little candles that she quenches uh, through her her work with them. And then, you know, they go mad. Like, are you... Why are you so quiet? Have I quenched you already? Have you already gone mad? Is that why you're mm-hmm. you're like sitting still and not talking and also not jumping my bones? Are you already mad? And then I think that she does get interested in him when they have a conversation. And it makes me wonder like how I bet very few people last this long, actually. Yeah. And very few people like end up having a conversation with her. Theoretically, though, anyone else who was versed in this heart of stone would still be able to do what Quoth did. Yeah, theoretically, but it seems like she's never encountered someone like that before. Yes, yes, he's the very best special boy. But, but hold on, hold on. I think the point, like, to me, the the very fact that he says, if if not for the training that I'd received at the university, he's like, he's saying it's not because I'm a special boy. It's because I received this training that lots of other people have received, right? He's not the only one who's trained at the university. Lots of people have. He's just the first one in, you know, recorded memory that Falurians come across who can do this. But, you know, yes, in theory, if like Eladin or Devi or whoever came here or Ben, they in theory could do the same thing. So we're just supposed to believe that very few people from the university make it out this far. I think that's likely. Like, why would a why would a learned arcanist be out in the middle of the elves to learn the more? Right, but I think yeah. I think we are given to understand that most people, like much as in real world academia, most of the people who go to the university don't become like professional arcanists, and the ones who do usually get themselves set up as like fancy court arcanists to rich 
aristocrats, so there probably aren't that many of them traipsing through the uncharted forests and wild places of the world where you're likely to cross into Fae and meet Valerian. Fine. Also, though, wait, I have a thing. So you uh, posited, and, and I think rightly so, that Quoth is the flame lover for his hair. However, briefly before he he is called that by Florian on this page, he describes her as a painting of flame and then flame itself. Yes. So and we've heard I that thought, dis- I was like, oh man, what if she read his mind and that's why he's the flame lover? I, I, I don't think that's actually happening. I think Nick is correct. But I just think it's interesting that he evoked her as flame and she is doing the same thing to him. Yeah, that is interesting. And as Jeremy is about to say, we've heard that phrase before. Yeah, who else has called? described something as a painting of a fire and something else as the fire itself? I don't know. Tell me. Why, it was Elodin, I think. Uh, it might have been um, Elkshadal, actually, but someone says, you know, a word is like a painting of a fire. A name is the fire itself. Oh. Oh. It is Elodin describing the difference between names, and it's the difference between calling names and naming. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, is, that's the metaphor that uh, Elodin is, is using. Damn. Um, which is relevant because uh, I I think we had a big argument about this earlier on that uh, Quoth ultimately defeats her, or at least like in their their upcoming battle that they have, uh, he names her and in so doing kind of overcomes her and and they become peers rather than uh, master servant. And I think this is setting up the idea that he is like getting the the metal of her so that he is eventually able to name her and like relate her and her magicness to naming thematically in our minds. Mm-hmm. It it also seems relevant to me that he, in order to like keep his sanity, he's retreating further into Heart of Stone. And when he does, the part of his mind that he's broken off, that's busy composing a poem to her, answers her out loud. And that's what keeps him alive, right? Like, because then she goes, oh, you're a poet. That's interesting. Tell me more, poet. That's like that's fun. I'll keep you around a little longer so that you can talk to me in poetry. To bind it more to naming, uh, I think that we could argue that it's his sleeping mind coming forward. Yes, absolutely. Or the spinning leaf, if we want to talk about it in terms of the Lathani. Like it's it's uh, it's not just like a part of him that he's bundled away. It's this is all part of his naming training, and he says at one point in this chapter, like this wasn't the training in magic I expected. It's a different kind of training, but he is in in a way getting his his magic training. And there's an interesting uh, thread to pull with the idea that like sex is is the same as naming, or the sex is the same as magic, or like there's magic in sex that this this book doesn't necessarily explicitly dive into, but I think it touches on. And, and on this read going forward, I might want to keep an eye out for. I mean, if you're doing it right, sex is magic. Uh, and just like ma- uh, sympathy, anyone can be taught to do it right. Um, but I, 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 like, I, I think you're completely right. And I think that we have made the connection before on this show that uh, Quoth's creativity, the, the part of him that makes him like a great musician, is connected to or is the same part of him that makes him uh, an intuitive namer. And I think that you're completely right that it's no coincidence that he answers her with his with poetry, which is part of his sleeping mind, the same part of him that uh, that can name things without thinking about it. 
Well, I'm yeah, glad we've it. we've resolved that mystery. Uh, <laughs> do we want to mosey on over to the next page? I think we should mosey because there's a lot uh, going on, and uh, I I'm enjoying thinking of this as an action sequence. So I'm enjoying uh, being excited about it and getting to the next uh, page. And I don't mean that as a sex joke. I don't get it. We'll tell you when you're well, the action sequence older. Oh. Page of the wind. Page of the wind. Bye-bye.